You are listening to a Crosspoint Peachtree City podcast. For more information, please visit our website at www.crosspointptc.com. Happy New Year. Good to see you guys this morning. You made it. Rolled out of bed. Not sure how alert you are at this point. Um, Hopefully, uh, as we work our way through the scriptures this morning, God will enliven our our minds and wake us out of our slumber, our hearts as well. Uh, If we haven't met, my name is Jamie. I'm one of the pastor elders of our church uh, with emphases in both preaching and theological vision, which means that I'm privileged most Sundays uh, with the, the honor and opportunity, responsibility of preaching God's word. And that's surely the case this morning as we venture into this new year together, 2023, having spent the better part of, of this last month uh, filled with great anticipation leading up to Christmas Day, the celebration of the birth of Christ our Savior, Emmanuel, God with us, the darkness dispelling light of the world, the hope of joy in the gloom of anguish. And then came the great buzzkill that we call December 26th, reminding us that that tree once adorned with lights must soon be taken down, the stockings hung by the the chimney put away for another year, the Christmas playlist set aside for something a little more calendar appropriate. For many of us, uh, December 26th, it exposes the, the longing of the human heart, the desire for something better, which maybe helps to explain why many of us find ourselves establishing new resolutions this, this time of year, perhaps recommitting ourselves to old resolutions unrealized, to eat healthy and exercise more, to gossip less, to read a book a month, to be a better listener to others, to keep a journal, to let go of grudges, to be more self-controlled on social media, to get off social media altogether, whatever it is. The the word resolution by definition means a firm decision to do or not to do something. So that to be resolute is to be admirably purposeful, determined and unwavering. And so in that regard, a, a resolution can be a beautiful thing if its aim is God's glory and its fuel is God's grace, whether in sync with the, the turning page of a calendar or not. David Pallison, uh, Pastor, counselor once said, the entire Christian life might be conceived as a lifelong determination to make and walk out new creation everyday resolutions. In the words of the apostle Paul himself, Philippians chapter three, Paul says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider, Paul says, that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. If the apostle Paul was anything, he was admirably purposeful. He was determined and unwavering. For the next five weeks, we're gonna camp out on a number of core convictions and values with the hope and aim that we as a church would be resolute in our commitment to these things. For some, maybe a new commitment, 
perhaps hearing some of these things for the very first time, maybe even a little newer to our church. For others, a continuation perhaps in the same commitment is nothing that we're gonna dive in over the course of uh, this series is hot off the press. Values and core convictions that we've held as a church for years, though perhaps packaged maybe a little differently in the weeks to come, coming at it from different passages of scripture. Surely not an exhaustive list. I'll put that out there up front, the handful of things that we're gonna camp out on this month. As our core convictions and values, they're not restricted to the things that we're gonna dive into for the next few weeks. For instance, there, there won't be a week solely devoted to the value of prayer and not because prayer isn't an incredibly high value for us as a church, as it surely is, but rather because prayer permeates all the other values with, with which we're gonna sit with over the course of the next several weeks and those that we're not gonna sit with. With that, several other core convictions and values which will make a cameo along with prayer along the way because you just can't escape them no matter what you talk about as it pertains to ecclesiology, what it is to be the church. All of these things that we're gonna hit on, our aim, God's glory, our fuel, God's grace. And so with that said, I invite you to open up your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We'll start in verse 14. We'll work our way through chapter four, verse four. Right in the center of this passage is that very famous verse. All scripture is breathed out by God. That's the core of what we're gonna sit with, but we're gonna camp out on everything that surrounds that incredibly familiar verse to many of us. Let me pray for us before we dive into God's word together. Heavenly Father, I pray as we come in this morning, not knowing what, each and every person brings into this place and yet knowing Ecclesiastes 3, that there's a season for everything, a season for laughter and dancing, a season for weeping and mourning. Many of us, as we look back at the end of 2022 and all that ensued that calendar year would have never guessed a number of things that, that unfolded before our very eyes. And the same is true of, of this new year. We have no idea what's, what's ahead whether it will be a, a fullness of, of laughter and of dancing, whether it'll be a, a fuller experience of, of weeping and mourning, whether it will be some sort of mixture, and this is probably true for most of us, of a both and of these things, but for many of us, a heavy emphasis on the one versus the other. We have no idea, but you know, you know the end from the beginning. And so, Lord, I, I trust over the course of this month of January, as we dive into some core values uh, and convictions that this will help to root us, to anchor us, that we might be prepared by your grace and the sustaining power of your Holy Spirit for whatever is to come. I pray that this morning would be yet another meal and a steady diet of this means of grace that we call the preaching of your word. Spirit of God, would you move in power this morning as we sit with your word before us, May you get the glory in it all, and may we receive the joy. In Christ's name I pray, amen. 2 Timothy, chapter three, Timothy himself, he lived in a day not unlike the day in which you and I live, in the sense that there was no shortage of false teachers, corruption having even crept in and found a home in many churches. So the apostle Paul, he felt something of an urgency in exhorting young Timothy to stay on the beaten path. As we pick up this morning's passage, Paul has just made mention of the many imposters, verse 13 of chapter three, who will go on deceiving and being deceived. 
now exhorting Timothy by way of a contrasting statement coming out of verse 13. If you look at verse 14 of first, uh, 2 Timothy chapter three, Paul says, but as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Here Paul addresses Timothy's personal devotion to the scriptures before getting into Timothy's public proclamation of the scriptures, which is an incredible blessing and benefit to us this morning and moving ahead in that it offers us two beautiful applications. One having to do with our own personal devotion to the word, the other with the pastoral exhortation for us as a church to preach the word. But as for you, Paul says, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, namely those things, verse 15, contained in the sacred writings. Meaning that none of us, myself included, we never get to a point where we should consider ourselves graduates of the word, both as it pertains to learning and believing the scriptures, verse 14, understanding God's word and trusting God's word. More to come on the the believing and trusting piece Next week, as we get into the core conviction of growing in the gospel, but as for now, Paul exhorts Timothy to continue in the sacred writings to remain resolute, if we can use that word, in God's word. This too, Paul's word for us, that we would build our lives on the sacred writings of scripture, that we would build our marriages on the word, that we would build our families on the word, that we would build the various ministries of this church on the word, that we would help to plant continuing in the word churches. Continue in the word, Paul says, abide in the word, remain in the word, hold fast to the word. Knowing, Paul says, verse 14, from whom you learned it. In Timothy's case, from his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice, if you look back at chapter one, verse five, women whom Paul describes as being of sincere faith, which helps to explain uh, Timothy's acquaintance with the scriptures from childhood, his mother and grandmother having faithfully embraced the responsibility of diligently immersing Timothy in God's word from an incredibly young age. And many of you are doing that right now in the lives of the children of this church. Praise God for that. You know these honorable women, Paul says, You know them. Don't abandon the sacred writings in which they've immersed you, the substance of their character, giving credibility to the substance of their teaching. And maybe that resonates with with some of us in this very room this morning who learned the sacred writings of scripture from men and women of noble character. That youth ministry volunteer, that Bible study leader along the way that old soul in Christ who took you under their wing, the substance of their character, giving credibility to their message. And yet that's not the story for all of us. Some having learned the scriptures from one having made a shipwreck of his or her faith since. Maybe even one of those tragic stories of pastoral disqualification. Which is why I love what Paul goes on to say as he understands the scriptures at the same time to be self-attesting. They don't need our help. The sacred writings, he says, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul's reference to the scriptures here being the the Old Testament, which Paul declares is able to make people, notice this, wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Meaning that 
And many of you know this, we've talked about this a lot as a church, that the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation and everything in between is about Jesus. Jesus himself, he taught as much on the road to Emmaus among a number of other places. Countless sermons in our sermon archives testify to this belief, along with a great many community group questions that have been written along the way, kids' ministry lessons, the Bible, as many of you heard, heard me say before, 66 books written over the course of nearly 2,000 years by roughly 40 human authors, a diverse authorship of philosophers, fishermen, doctors, scholars, kings, peasants, and on and on we could go, written in Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic, made up of songs, poetry, historical narratives, letters, sermons, genealogies, etc. And yet this incredibly diverse book of sacred writings, to use Paul's language in this morning's passage, tells one overarching story of redemption, not a bunch of piecemeal stories, with Jesus as its greatest character and hero. The author, as we talked about over the course of the Advent season, having stepped into the pages of his own story, the Bible from beginning to end is a redemptive book meant to lead us to salvation in Jesus, that there is no salvation apart from faith in Jesus Christ. And it's God's word alone that's able to make us wise for salvation through faith in him, past, present, and future salvation. Paul talks that way in his writings. I love the way John Piper articulates what Paul's saying in this part of this morning's passage. He says, I love the Bible the way I love my eyes. Not because my eyes are lovely, but because without them, I can't see what is lovely. That's not to say that he's arguing that the scriptures aren't lovely. It's that he's arguing that through the lovely scriptures, we see the, the truly lovely God that scripture reveals. He goes on to say, without the Bible, I could not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Without the Bible, I could not know the unsearchable riches of Christ. Without the Bible, I would not know that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great savior. I love the Bible, he says, because it gives the wisdom that leads to salvation and shows me that this salvation is nothing less than seeing and savoring the glory of Christ forever. And then it provides for me inexhaustible ways of seeing and knowing and enjoying Christ. The sacred writings of scripture Able to make us wise, Paul says, for salvation through faith in Christ, providing for us inexhaustible ways to see, savor, and enjoy Jesus. Why do the sacred writings of Scripture have such power? Here's where we get into that famous verse, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture, Paul says, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All Scripture is breathed out by God, Paul says. Some translations say inspired by God, not meaning that the Bible is inspiring, though God's great story of redemption surely is, but rather meaning that the writings themselves are inspired God's very word to us. Long time ago, Augustine said, and this gets to the heart of it very succinctly, where the Bible speaks, God speaks. To paraphrase a fellow pastor in our network, perhaps the better way to describe scripture instead of inspiration is expiration. Breathed out by God, God's very word to us. Living and active, Hebrews chapter four 
effectual in, in that it has the power uh, to do what it promises to do. Profitable, Paul says, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Some scholars believing that Paul has two pairings in mind here as he lays out such a list of the ways that scripture is profitable to us. First pair, teaching and reproof, having to do with doctrine. Teaching being the, the positive language of doctrinal instruction. Reproof being the negative language of doctrinal correction. The second pair, correction and training in righteousness, having to do with conduct. Correction being the negative language of the course correcting of misconduct. Prone to wander, Lord, I fear it. Training in righteousness being the positive language of the maturing of believers in Christ's likeness. And maybe that's what Paul had in mind in terms of framing up this list. Other scholars believing that Paul has in mind the broad category of teaching under which the more detailed categories of reproof, correction, and training in righteousness fall. A literary approach that we surely see elsewhere in Scripture, particularly in the Psalms and Proverbs, so that you have teaching in the Scriptures that brings us to a place of conviction that we're headed in the wrong direction, teaching with the aim of reproof, of stopping us in our tracks in that propensity to wander. And then there's teaching in the scriptures that turns us around once we've stopped in our tracks, teaching with the aim of correction, of turning our wandering hearts to face in the right direction. And then there's teaching in the scriptures that having stopped reproof and having turned correction helps us to take steps in a Godward direction. Teaching with the aim of training in righteousness, of walking in the direction of God-glorifying glorifying obedience. Regardless of how you understand Paul to be framing up this list, I love this. It doesn't matter either way because either way we see something of the comprehensive nature of the all-encompassing power of God's word. According to the one framing, correction and instruction in both doctrine and conduct all-encompassing, according to the other framing, stopping us in our tracks, turning us around, and helping us to walk in the way of Christ. Which is why Paul would go on to say in verse 17, this sort of comprehensive language, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The good book, equipping us for good works, which give evidence of saving faith in the Christ of Scripture. This is what we mean when we say that the scriptures are sufficient in providing us all that we need for faith and obedience so that it makes all the sense in the world that Paul would exhort Timothy to continue in the scriptures. Personally, an exhortation that that we can all apply to our lives, continue in the word, abide in the word, remain in the word. And yet Paul doesn't stop there. As his aim isn't just that Timothy would continue in devotion to the scriptures personally, but two, that Timothy would continue in devotion to the scriptures pastorally. Which gets to the heart of what you can expect moving forward from your pastor elders as it pertains to being resolute in the scriptures. Paul goes on in chapter four, verse one, to say, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. These are some heavy words, right? 
Paul reminds Timothy with the most sobering of words that Timothy conducts his ministry in the very presence of God and Christ. And that it's Christ who will return and to whom Timothy will someday give an account. As will all having sat under Timothy's preaching. And with that, Paul's exhortation to preach the word. When so many others are abandoning the sacred writings. That what Jesus cares about far more than what many with their itching ears think is that we stick close to the word. Don't get cute. Preach the scriptures. That God is the speaker of the word. All scripture breathed out by God. And God is the audience of the word. His word always proclaimed in his presence, regardless of the size of the crowd, which is incredibly timely on this New Year's Day. A Sunday when many pastors might be inclined uh, to prepare their sermons in laziness and preach their sermons in discouragement. Paul says, preach the word, knowing that God's word will always be proclaimed in God's presence. He says, be ready in season and out of season. Paul here using military language and exhorting Timothy to always be on guard, to be alert, to be ready, no matter the situation, no matter the circumstance, no matter if it's a holiday Sunday or not, no matter what's going on in your life as a pastor, no matter what's going on in the life of the congregants, if it's a season of laughter and dancing, if it's a season of weeping and mourning, preach the word, Paul says. Reprove. Rebuke and exhort, verse two. Again, communicating something of the fullness of the profitability of God's word for God's people. We've really overcomplicated it, haven't we? Because the truth is that you get to all of those things, reproving, rebuking, and exhorting by simply being faithful to preach the word. You don't bypass certain verses onto the next easiest ones to preach. You just keep plowing through and you can't escape reproof, rebuke, exhortation, profitability in all the ways that Paul's talking about here. So that when people do that, when they sidestep God's word, they're robbing the church of the profitability of scripture for the people of God. Paul says, do it with complete patience and complete teaching. Complete patience because sanctification is rarely instantaneous for anyone. It's oftentimes a grueling, slow progression over time toward Christ's likeness, amen. And complete teaching because faithful preaching includes faithful teaching. Preaching being the heralding of something newsworthy, teaching being a coming underneath that heralding of something newsworthy with explanation, making sense of it. Preach with complete patience and teaching, Paul says, trusting that over the course of time, a steady diet of God's word will have its effect. Trusting God to conform his people by the power of his grace to the image of his son over time. Word has the power to accomplish that. He goes on. He says, verse three, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As Paul says elsewhere, silly, irreverent myths. 
Notice that Paul doesn't say, for the time is coming when people will not endure the sound teaching of the word, but will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and scratch their itch. So preach to scratch their itch. Preach to suit their passions. Preach felt needs. Entertain them with your many stories. No, Paul says, for the time is coming when people will not endure the sound teaching of the word, but will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and scratch their itch. So Timothy, you preach the word. Proclaim the sound teaching of the word. It's an indictment on the the many American church growth pragmatists of our day who would laugh in the face of the apostle Paul. If my, let me put it this way. If my wife and I daily asked our girls what they wanted for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, the paraphrase of their answer would be things that rot our teeth out, mommy and daddy. As parents who love them, we make sure that they get the nutrients that they need for health, growth, and maturity. This morning, it's an exhortation to all of us to be resolute in the scriptures, to continue in the sacred writings, personal devotion to the scriptures for all of us, public proclamation of the scriptures for any who would step into the pulpit of this church. Again, our aim, God's glory, our fuel, God's grace. If I may close this morning, simply allowing scripture to describe scripture. Psalm 19, verses seven through 11 The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. On a day when much superstition would have us make sure we get some greens in our belly so that we can get some gold in our hands, if I can just encourage us to hold the scriptures tightly this year. We hold something very precious in our possession, the sacred writings of Scripture, able to make us wise, Paul says, for salvation through faith in Christ, providing for us inexhaustible ways to see and savor and enjoy Jesus. We'll talk more about that in the weeks to come, what that can look like, rounding this thing out. But for now, the exhortation to simply stay in God's word to continue in the sacred writings in personal devotion and pulpit proclamation. Pastor elders of our church will try to take on our part in that and invite you along with us into the personal aspect of that in a together way. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions about this message, visit us at crosspointptc.com. There you can contact us, find further resources, and directions to our gatherings. That's C-R-O-S-S-P-O-I-N-T-E-P-T-C dot com.